Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. Well, I told you I want to read a story for you regarding a Christmas incident called The Pork of Christmas Past. Now, this is from a book that I wrote about 13 years ago, which I think is one of the most fascinating books I've put together because it covers so much territory. The book is called Pet Ghosts, Animal Encounters from Beyond the Grave. And uh, it's available easily as a Kindle. As a matter of fact, that's how I'm reading it right now. I'm looking at it electronically on the Kindle. And even though I have often read this story around Christmas time, it's a story that bothers a lot of people. Because clearly, if you're going to write a book about pet ghosts, well, it involves the death of animals, not the cheeriest sort of concept to discuss around the holidays, and yet I bet that didn't stop many of you from having your bacon and eggs this morning, or perhaps preparing a nice turkey for the 25th. So we just have to be realistic about the fact that we often don't like to think about what we're doing when we're eating animals or, or, you know, seeing what happens to them when they're, they're vulnerable. But that said, this is just a really uh, interesting tale, and uh, I wrote this when I was living way out in the countryside of Alexander, North Carolina, and the names have been changed to protect the privacy of those involved. So here we go, the pork of Christmas past, from the book Pet Ghosts, Animal Encounters from Beyond the Grave, by yours truly, Joshua P. Warren. I've lived in a rural setting my whole life. The economy has often been troubled here in the past. In fact, Asheville, North Carolina was supposedly hit harder than any other city in the United States per capita during the Great Depression. Many residents of these worn blue mountains have relished a fresh slaughter as a godsend. It shouldn't be surprising that tales of barnyard animal ghosts abound. One of the more interesting incidents began with a hog named Gabriel. His name was chosen. My screen went black. Okay. Uh, His name was chosen to represent his ultimate sacred purpose. Gabriel had been groomed for a long time, a fat, tasty prize for any dinner table, but especially on Christmas Day. Roy Shelton was a grizzled fellow whose family had been largely self-sustained for generations. He owned a sizable lot of property in Yancey County, one of the more remote sections of these parts. Roy and his siblings had grown up with pens of hogs, sheep, and fowl, fields of grazing cattle, and he knew very well how to kill, skin, treat, and eat. But when in his early twenties he married Becca, a surprisingly wealthy woman from Atlanta, she demanded a change in lifestyle. We don't live in 1920 and we're not poor, she'd say. I can drive to the grocery store in 10 minutes, so we don't need all these filthy, stinking animals. And I don't like the same hands that touched me, (laughs) that touched me in bed being slathered in fresh guts and blood that morning. So she put a stop to the idea of keeping and handling livestock. 
Roy begrudgingly obeyed her wishes, never exposing her and their children to those barbaric facts of life. His only opportunity to kill was on an occasional hunting trip, mainly for small game, and those excursions outcast him from the family for a bit. However, all that changed after September 11, 2001. After watching the Twin Towers collapse, shocked by the horrified, fleeing faces, Roy was immediately struck by the warnings of his grandparents. Tales of the stock market collapse in 1929, hunger and poverty eventually leading to the terrible World War II. Without hesitation, he knew 9-11 was his cue to perform his highest husbandly duty, make sure his family was well-fed and protected. Expecting the country to possibly descend into another dark era, he told his wife that, like it or not, he was raising some food on the land, and Roy hoped she'd actually get used to it after a few years and maybe even be proud of his capable hands. Though Becca didn't like the idea, she reluctantly agreed, being equally shocked by the nation's condition and paranoia of those around her. So one of Roy's first purchases was Gabriel, a fine little pig who had the genes of a wonderful holiday meal. It would take around 12 months of careful feeding to ensure the pig grew to a healthy, delicious state. Roy especially took pride in teaching his 15-year-old son, Reuben, about the process. But he was slightly bothered by watching the boy pet and socialize with the animal. After all, a happy porker, its tail wagging, is a funny, friendly sight, and a young person can become attached quickly. The father was always quick to remind of just how mean a hog could be, and how powerful its jaws and how sharp its filthy teeth were. See this, Roy would say, as Gabriel chomped on a corn cob. Chomped it in half, with almost no effort. Imagine that's your hand. And hogs eat people all the time, he halfway chuckled. Eventually, as the holidays approached, Roy felt the time to slaughter Gabriel was about right. The animal had grown to a fine, fat beast. Perfect, really. As fate would have it, the day before Roy had decided to kill the hog, his employer, a lumber company, sent him on the road for an important unexpected delivery. So he put off the slaughter till his return. But the delivery took him deep into the mountains of West Virginia, and the night he arrived, a blizzard swept down from the north and was on his heels. Not sure how many days his return would be delayed, he called Becca. Tell Reuben where to find my thirty-eight and get things started. I'll take over when I get back. Roy felt confident the boy could proceed because he'd spent months involving his son in the planning. But Becca protested loudly, knowing how fond of the pig their teenage son had become. Roy held his ground firmly. For years you've had your way with this issue, and now it's time to give. Reuben knows what to do, and he'll be a more secure adult knowing how to care for himself if necessary. She felt terrible after the call, for she had grown fond of Gabriel. But she nonetheless retrieved Roy's thirty-eight caliber pistol from their bedside, 
gave it to Reuben, and repeated Roy's words. Well, a part of the teenager was immediately excited. He knew how to use a pistol, as his father had him popping off cans and cardboard boxes at an early age, but he'd never killed an animal, and he saw the glean in his father's eyes each time the prospect of a glorious fresh ham for Christmas was discussed. The household was somber as Reuben walked outside to complete the deed. When he got to the stall and Gabriel came trotting over, tail wagging, a smile almost visible on his pink lips, Reuben's stomach sank a bit, and a veil of sadness overcame him, colder even than the air around him. His father had told him about the natural hesitation to kill a creature one has known for months, but he also made it clear that if the family were starving, there would be no hesitation. And this was practice for such a run. It was extremely important, and the duty gave Reuben a sense of importance, made him feel like a man. He knew there was no sense in thinking about it, and so Reuben slowly raised the pistol, aimed carefully for a high spot between Gabriel's eyes, and fired. The shot cracked the air, and through the thin, drifting smoke, there stood the hog, frozen, the bullet, wadded up, slightly embedded on his forehead. Time seemed to stop as Reuben and Gabriel stood silently, looking at each other. They say a pig is very intelligent, even more so than a dog, and that intelligence can be seen most easily in the creature's eyes. This is why pigs have often been sacrificed by cults in place of humans. Pigs can be quite expressive, and at that particular moment, the smile was gone forever from Gabriel's mouth. His gaze was steady, stunned, and icy cold, but his right eye was now cocked slightly to the inside, apparently rocked in his skull. The two simply stood quietly, each like a statue, sharing a stony moment of confusion, switching quickly to realization of what was happening. With that, Reuben experienced his first emotion since pulling the trigger. A small shudder ran down his spine and weakened his knees. He started to fire again, the only thing he knew to do, but his arm was now numb and like jelly. After a pause, dropping his head in brief reflection, Reuben simply turned and walked soundlessly back to the house. Behind him, Gabriel still stood in the stall, not moving an inch, his crooked eyes still locked. We will never know exactly what was in the hog's mind at that point, but he was certainly still alive. The rest of the evening the family was chilled by the cries, groans, and growls that filled the frigid night air. Regardless of his ultimate condition, Gabriel surely was in pain, both physically and emotionally. He felt angry, betrayed. The sound of his hooves scraping on the wooden beams of his stall were frightening. 
If he escaped, they felt the hog would come for them, and take them along on his inevitable journey to the other side. It's like he wasn't meant to die, Reuben told his mother. They only wished Roy was around. The next day, Roy's truck rumbled into the driveway. Relieved to be home, he glanced around, expecting to see the carcass hanging from a backyard tree, preliminary cuts made to drain blood. When it wasn't there, he noticed the hog was still in its stall. And when he entered the home and Becca explained what had happened, Roy was furious. "'Of course he didn't die!' Roy exclaimed. "'His damn skull's this thick. The shot only stuns him. Then you run in with the pig sticker and take out his spine.' Now, if you don't happen to know, a pig sticker is a very long, sharp dagger designed to pierce a hog's tough hide and destroy his vitals. So the actual killing is gruesomely hands-on. Now the meat's going to taste bad, Roy said. Without hesitation, Roy went out with his three fifty-seven, a more powerful round, and found Gabriel in a panic. It took a while to land the right shot, and then Roy jumped the fence and pounced on the critter like a man at war, slashing deep into the heart and ending Gabriel's life quite quickly and bloodily. He demanded his son's help at that point, and the two hoisted the 350-pound porker onto an oak tree, where his veins were dumping in no time. Roy was visibly upset as he tried to explain to his son, "'I guess you hadn't listened well to me, Reuben. I told you it was important to keep him calm before he dies. You walk up real gentle.' just like what you did, and you nail him in the head, just like what you did, but then you gotta finish him off quick with the knife. Otherwise, once he comes back around, he's not the same. He's all riled up and scared. His heart pumps harder, filling the tissues with blood, and his adrenaline sky high. A pig don't taste right after all that. How does he taste? asked the boy. Like fear, Roy answered. After a whole year of anticipation, a sense of melancholy settled over Christmas Day. The family, even Roy, missed Gabriel. The entire affair was a hard lesson in life and death. No one spoke about it much, but when the heavy packs of raw pork set on the kitchen counter, no one wanted to go near them. Finally, when Roy, enlisting Becca's help, unwrapped them to begin preparation, the wife mentally distanced herself from the task. She didn't want to think about the meat being the creature they'd owned and known for so long. No one dared criticize the situation, though everyone knew the effort Roy had put into the feast, and he was already brooding somewhat over the mishandling of the pig's death. From time to time, he'd mumble something about the flavor, followed by, uh, that's a shame. Finally, as the cold winter sun began to dwindle, the family sat down for Christmas dinner. It was a beautiful spread, candlelit with holly, but the mood was not light and merry. 
Thick slabs of pork were pre-cut on each plate, and everyone silently watched to see who would dig into Gabriel first. Not surprisingly, it was Roy. After saying grace, he anxiously sawed off a good chunk and gobbled it down. The butcher nodded knowingly, each eye upon him. It's still good, he said. But you can taste that. It's gamey. Still good, though. Becca ate the pig next, then Reuben, then the girls. Becca agreed that the meat was good, especially with salted mashed potatoes piled on. But not another word about the pork was said. As the meal continued, and those at the table were struck by the initial sensations of being stuffed, they began to hear it first, a slight high-pitched whining outside seemed like the bitter wind. But then it changed, rose in volume, became those grunts and moans that had haunted the family when Gabriel agonized all night. Everyone looked at each other. They knew there was no other pig around and the hair on Becca's neck stood, bristling like Gabriel's must have when he was slaughtered. Eventually the squealing grew too strong to be ignored. Reuben was the first to start feeling nauseated. He hid the sickness, going to the bathroom apparently to relieve himself in the usual manner, but they could soon hear the groans as he vomited in the toilet. This triggered one of the girls to feel sick, and then Becca. Each person who left the table went in a different direction to escape the miserable sounds. It was undeniable. A hog was crying in the frosty night as they tried to eat. Finally, Roy got up to look outside. Seeing nothing through the window, Roy put on his coat. As he ventured out the door, a blast of chilly wind swept through the house. Within moments, the cry of the pig was replaced by a new sound. The scream of a human, of a man. Everyone rushed outside, panting. Only ten feet beyond the doorstep lay Roy, half rolling on the ground holding his leg in near-breathless pain. Oh, God! he repeated. Oh, God! They tried to help him up, but he refused to move. Reuben turned on the porch light, revealing a light dusting of sparkling snow on the ground. Did you slip? asked Becca. Roy nodded in affirmation. He continued to refuse movement, and the family oriented itself so that more light would fall on his leg. They were shocked. It looked like his right leg had another joint. It was completely snapped and bent back in the middle of his shin. Upon gaining a clear view, everyone around immediately groaned in pain, barely comprehending the awful sight. Immediately, 911 was dialed. The doctor could scarcely believe a simple fall had produced such a clean break. 
Needless to say, it set Roy back for a long time. Months afterward, when his sense of humor returned, he joked that it wasn't actually the fall that had gotten him. Instead, he claimed it was the jaws of an unseen creature hitting him, probably Gabriel, chomping down, breaking that shin like a corn cob. And yet, oddly enough, after making the joke, Roy himself would hardly laugh. He knew that Reuben and Becca claimed they'd found circling pig prints in the snow around the house. Whether or not it was indeed the spirit of Gabriel that had come back from revenge, or simply an imprint of his cries that prompted his killer to slip on an icy walkway, is debatable. The hog was never heard again, nor was there any sign of his ghost. But nonetheless, to whatever degree he may have returned temporarily from the other side, it made a much more substantial impact. Last I spoke to Roy, the rest of his family had not eaten a bit of meat since, and he himself has given up on raising livestock personally. Of course, he reassures me, all that could change at any time. They just have to be hungry enough, he said. So that is the end of my story, The Pork of Christmas Past. Again, as you can see, um, not the most warm story. One could certainly say heartwarming story. Uh, for this time of year, but uh, a legitimate ghost story, and it certainly makes you think twice a little bit, huh? <laughs> well, who knows what you're going to be enjoying for Christmas dinner, but, uh, well, tomorrow's going to be Christmas Eve, so I think what I'll do tomorrow is I'll jump back on here and talk a little bit about one of my favorite and I think everybody's favorite topics this time of year, the Krampus, Santa Claus, and is it just possible that both of them are indeed real? You might be surprised. So, this podcast is always short, and uh, it's always free. If you go to joshuapwarren.com, you'll find all kinds of cool stuff, including a link to this podcast, Joshua P. Warren Daily. You can subscribe through various means, or just follow me on Twitter, at Joshua P. Warren. And I will tweet when a new one is available. So that is it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon.